for joining us again for another episode. Tonight's episode, a little bit of a, an old favourite from back in the 80s, a bit of Stephen King, Silver Bullet from 1985. Jared, how are you going there, mate? Yeah, pretty good. Surviving the quarantine. You're still, um, you're still, you, you haven't quarantined yet still? No, no, I'm, I'm saying I, I am surviving it. I'm, I'm uh, surviving being stuck indoors with the family. Right. Just. Because last time we talked, I believe, or a couple of episodes ago, you were still working. Is that not correct? Yeah, no, I'm working at home now. So that's uh, that's been going for about a week, which is good. Nice. All right, look, before we get into all of this, let's do a quick whip round what we've been watching. Mine's a short list, mm-hmm. Jared. I watched Unfriended Dark Web. Look, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't a patch on the first one. I really, really enjoyed the first one. And I think the supernatural element was the bit that I kind of liked, um, that they're sort of stuck in like a, I guess you'd say they're in a, like a, a chat room together as a group and there's something else in there mm-hmm. that's manipulating them. This one's more of a, a uh, they 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 sort of get a lap. One of them gets a laptop off Craigslist, and it turns out to belong to someone who's involved in the dark web. Right. There were moments where it was okay, but and it's pretty short and sharp. It's about 80, 80 minutes, I reckon. It had its moments, as I said, but there's something about having the supernatural element that I really liked about the first one, and this just didn't quite cut it, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah, the first one was, I was a bit of a surprise, Frozen really. Two. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, the first one was was not what I anticipated. In fact, I was super sort of without even seeing it. I was like, "Oh, this sounds fucking stupid." Yeah, you know, yeah. An entire movie on a laptop. I thought the same. But it worked really well, and they did a really good job. And here they do the same thing. I mean, it it all looks like everything on a laptop. They're going into Facebook. They're doing this, that, and, that. and it all looks great. But it just didn't. It just lacked a little bit of strength in its. I guess is in its plotting and its story. Yeah. Which is funny to say about a movie that's made on a laptop, but <laughs> Alright, I've also watched Frozen Two. Oh right. Uh, which is, you know uh look, it was alright. I enjoyed Frozen Two. I I don't think it's anywhere near as good as the original again, and maybe it's one of these sort of Oh look, we uh, we've made plenty of money out of the first one, so we might as well go back and do another. Yeah, I thought um, I actually thought it was quite uh, quite interesting. I thought it was a little bit deeper, a little bit uh, try to dig into to dig into some deeper kind of emotions and things in the first one. But yeah, I can see uh, it did, and it prob- like but it. probably that was to its slight detriment as well. It didn't quite get the best of all those things that it that went for. But as far as those movies are concerned, let's be honest. I mean, Christ, it looks absolutely fantastic. All the voice work and everything is just brilliant, um, and it, it works as a as a sequel as well as those ones can go. And I wouldn't have an issue with Frozen Three. Uh, and the other two things I watched, I watched a few more episodes of The Rookie. Uh huh. Yep. Um, John McHale turned up in a cameo. Mm. <laughs> yeah, surprise me. Yeah. Uh, look again, that show is purely generic. But it works well because of Nathan Fillion. Um, he again gives the character some real, like, there's a real enjoyable sort of light humorous touch to the character, which I like a lot. 
Yeah, he's pretty good in the uh, last most one, things. So. Yeah, exactly. He um he does a, a good job um, considering the constraints of that type of network television where you're not doing too much that's going to surprise anyone. The last one was, you put me back onto it uh, earlier on this week, The Dark Side of the Ring. Yeah. Oh, mate, they, they, they do a really, really good job with those episodes. Yeah, it's a great series. There's only three, and I believe you've watched them all, is that not correct? Yeah, there's only, so there's a couple more coming, but yeah, I watched all three of the, the second season that they've they've been dropping. Yeah, and they dropped a two-part epi- two episode about Chris Benoit, mm-hmm. and an episode about some guy called New Jack, which, fuck. <laughs> Yeah. That was craziness. <laughs> yeah. Was it not? He is, yeah. He's uh, out there for sure. Uh, the Chris Benoit stuff, I'd already read a lot about that and heard a couple of podcasts about it, and it was pretty sad stuff. There's no doubt something was wrong in his brain. Yeah. Uh, and when you bash your head against people as often as he did, because I believe his finishing move involved diving headfirst into people. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, it was, yeah, it, it, he sort of dived off the top rope and landed on people, but it was, I mean, as the Chris Nowinski, who's the bloke that, that does all their study on CTE, as he said, when he was wrestling, he got six concussions and started to notice the effects, and Benoit was sitting down with him and said, oh, I've lost count how many times I've been concussed. So, yeah, yeah he just... It's just the 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 sport at the time, like in the in the nineties, there where they were bashing each other's heads with chairs and things like that regularly. I guess it's not really a surprise that he sustained some damage, but yeah, it's a, it was a really sad story. Like I, I knew well, most of the ins and outs as well, but to see the people involved sitting there talking about it, like to have his son and um, to have you know Chris Jericho and and those people and and uh, Nancy Benoit's sister sitting there talking about it all was it was fucking sad. I, I teared up numerous times watching it because the 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 people involved were just you could see they were just bloody still feeling the effects of it. Yeah, and look, I thought Chris Jericho said something really interesting with regards to it because he kind of didn't shy away from the fact that look, we were on steroids. Mm. There were brain injuries, obviously, because we were bashing each other's heads in. But also there was drugs, alcohol, you know, like the whole lifestyle. Yeah. Probably didn't – it probably all catered to what ended up happening. Yeah. I think there's no doubt that that a number of those factors played a role. Yeah. Look, the death of Eddie Guerrero didn't help him. No. Because it took away kind of like a – I don't know, a kind of like a rock in his in his life and a good friend. And that, that I think that had a, a very profound impact, or it sounds like it had a profound impact on what he ended up doing. Yeah. But his brain was mush, mate. I mean, that's it seemed like that's what the people that got hold of his brain and studied it said it was just a, a disaster. Something like an 85-year-old's... Yeah, and- Brain with a like a degenerative condition, essentially. Yeah, and what was he? He was like forty. Yeah, he's forty, I think. I think he also couldn't. One thing that stood out to me, he couldn't let go of wrestling. Yeah, 
he was a wrestler, you know, morning, noon and night, 365 a year. You know, like he never could take a break. And and you made mention of something to me after we'd watched it was, you know, the whole idea that the WWE probably deserves a little bit. Well, not necessarily all the WWE because he was wrestling in several other promotions as well. Yeah. But the whole idea and the pressure of if you don't come out and wrestle for us, your career and your job is in danger. Yeah, basically. And I think the the issue for me is, yeah, that's you can see that mindset when they were all sort of small federations, you know, uh, that had a job to do and to, to, you know, weren't necessarily rolling in the cash. But when the WWE was making millions of dollars regularly, you would think that perhaps guys could get a little bit of time off and not fear for their job. So I think that's, that's yeah, the thing for me. Yeah, especially when you at consider the, this. At the, time when, at the time when him and sort of Eddie Guerrero were in that phase of, oh, we can't take time off. Like they, they, they talk about Eddie Guerrero and show him when he did his shoulder or whatever and they just sort of continue on. At that time, that was, that was when the likes of Stone Cold and The Rock were around and, and WWE was on top. Like it was making money. So you would think that perhaps they could they could have a little bit of time off to recover, but I guess that's yeah. And yeah. look, I, I think that has improved. I think that has changed a little bit since then. I'd say too that uh, even back then there wasn't the knowledge that there is now that the CTE is as bad as it is. No, the idea that people need psychological help especially sports people, you know, it's now become much more well-known that, you know, they ever, a lot of sportsmen have stepped away or sportsmen and women have stepped away from their sport because of mental health problems. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, these big companies start employing psychologists and everything like that. And back then that was, again, it was the old, you know, I'll be, she'll be right, I'll just get back on deck. Yeah, that's right. And that's, uh, you know, and that's, Chris Jericho comes out of the whole thing looking like, I mean, he's just great. He's great to listen to. He's a good talker and everything, but he was obviously heavily involved in this story too. But, again, he makes some good points when he's talking about the chair shots and stuff, and he said, you know, in that era, that was a badge of honour. You just did it. Like, you know, yeah. you, you just stiffened stiffened up and, and just took the shot, and that, that was your badge of honour, you know. You, you you could say you've taken this many chair shots or whatever. Exactly. And look, you know, that's been going across all those sports where you know you're not a tough, you're not a tough guy if you can't take a hit mm. and get back up. Yeah. Even though it's detrimental to your health. That's right. And you shouldn't be getting back up. Yeah. You do because oh, that's manly. That's that's part of being a warrior, so to speak. Uh, you know, again, it's hard to know. I mean, you can't specifically point to specific. You know, this is this is this is where. It, it mucked up his brain when he took a chair shot here. But it's the accumulation of so much punishment. Mm, that's right. There's been quite a number of wrestlers over the years who have died from this type of stuff or have committed suicide or all that sort of stuff. There's a fair bit of... Yeah, well, sports people in it's general. Fairly, um, NFL players, yeah. so So it's, yeah, it was a really difficult watch and a very interesting one. The New Jack episode, though, was that guy was just a piece of shit. <laughs> Well, it he was. It became like, it became a little bit like uh, the Rick James skit because every time there was an incident, he said, "Oh yeah, I was high as shit before it." Yeah, 
<laughs> like every time. <laughs> yeah, I think he said it like four times throughout the episode. Yeah, cocaine's hell of a drug. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. It is. But his problem, look, and don't get me wrong, that kid that got in the ring with him, was that was just stupidity. Yeah, definitely. He was way out of his depth. Yep. That young kid and what what the fuck were his parents, what his, was his father doing? I, I don't know. Yeah. But any wrestler with a modicum of sense would have known this guy's young, he's inexperienced. Well, let's, let's walk him through this, right? Well, the thing is, I reckon in that industry, that's the treatment he would have got from just about everybody except that they wouldn't have fucking bladed the bloke and, and cut his face open like he did. You know, they would have given him they, yeah. would, they would have given him some stiff stiff treatment in the ring and and hit him and knocked him around a bit. But I think most of the professionals probably would have cut short of you know, when he said, Can you cut me because I haven't done it he wouldn't have done it like he did and that's essentially why, like, for this, you know, New Jack's career, a, a joint like WWE never would have touched him. Abs for, for all the right reasons. Yeah. Say whatever you like about Vince McMahon, he was running a, a business, not a fucking uh, some sort of weird bloody. I don't know. It seemed to be that those guys were desperate to, to you know, ECW and and all them were desperate to get that lucrative dollar hmm. by doing the most outrageous shit they could. That was their angle. Yeah, that was their angle. I mean, they had some good wrestling. To beat WWE, you needed to out, you needed you know, to impress top people with this. Yeah, and um, you needed to jump off so higher, higher things than they did, and hit people with more chairs or more things than they did. Like that was, yeah, that was definitely their angle. And it, it was kind of interesting to see his where his career ended up, exactly where it probably deserved to end up. Yeah, well, that's right. And I mean, doing like, that shit in front of him, ten people. But yeah, at his peak, he didn't get into into like WWE, and, that, and you can see that's why because eventually things happened. Where I mean, two times, I think it's fair to say he attempted to fucking kill somebody. Yeah. So <laughs> shit. And did you notice the front of his forehead there? Yeah. How much damage has been done to that? Yeah, that's all from all that shit Scary. that he was doing and. Blading himself and all that sort of, yeah, it's it's not a good look. But definitely worth watching those episodes. Check them out; they're on SBS on on demand. Definitely worth it. I was really really happy to to watch the the second. I was very happy to see it back because I'd only watched an episode or two of the first season, mm. uh, and this one really came back with a bang. So I'm I'm very happy to see it back. But that's me, mate. That's all I've done. All I've watched. Yeah. What right. do you have? So obviously Dark Side of the Ring as well. That was probably one of the better things I watched during the week. I finally got onto I hadn't seen for for a bloke that's on an action movie podcast, this is shameful, but I hadn't actually seen any of the Taken movies. <laughs> so right. I got onto Taken and Taken Two. It's fair to say I wasn't taken with, with what I was watching. <laughs> I was <laughs> uh look, it could be it could be a uh an opinion that's not shared by too many, but Taken is vastly overrated, I feel, after watching it. Yeah. I think aside from the famous line about being a man with a set of skills and I will find you and I will kill you and all that sort of business, it's pretty run-of-the-mill revenge flick kind of fair. Yeah. 
I think it was just um, time and place, mate. Yeah, I think it was. It, nobody expected yeah. anything from it. And Neeson is a likable. He's a likable actor. So I think yeah. seeing a guy like him, I mean, who you, had, you, you summed it up to me. The man's phoning it in. He is absolutely. It's not his best work by a million years. It's it's. But the thing is, he knows as well as anyone that this is a paycheck. Even my half baked shit's good enough. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there was there was some sequences early on where I was giggling at his acting efforts. Yeah, it's just as you said, he was phoning yeah. it, he was hamming it up. But personally, and me and you spoke about this. I mean, in the last couple of years, I. I would rather watch the Equalizer movies than these ones. Something like John Wick, it doesn't even hold a candle to. Oh, like, no. As you said, Man on Fire is is a far superior revenge flick to, to Taken. Yeah, and Taken is really just your Spudzenberger revenge flick that somehow took off. Yeah. I mean, it had some good things about it. Don't somehow. get me wrong. I didn't, I didn't dislike it. I, I quite enjoyed watching it, but... It's not in sort of action movie kind of pantheon conversations for me. It does have a cut. Yeah, I agree. It's pretty generic. Uh, I think people kind of get interested about really scummy bad guys getting just a swath cut through them, and that's yeah. basically what happens. And he does do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, he does cut a swath. And there are a couple of good lines. That 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 line with him about the. Um, the set of skills is one, and I also like the one where the bloke in the um, where the bloke's in the elevator, and he says it wasn't personal. And he yeah, says, it was yeah. personal to me, and just kills him. Yeah, they work, and I think it's part of the reason why it was successful. But I'm like mm. you, I don't reach for Taken on the, on the DVD <laughs> shelf. <laughs> fact, no, I don't think I've reached for Taken in about ten years. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I did actually see uh, on Amazon Prime they've actually got the series. So I may, I may have to have a little look at that, <laughs> even though I wasn't taken. Of course. I, I will still have a look at the series there. So, yeah, obviously. Taken 3 you know, is taken, actually the worst one. I I didn't get to see that. Um, on the 17 streaming services that I have access to, I could not find Taken 3 anywhere. So why I, why I have that many streaming services, I don't fucking know. What's the point? What am I paying for here? Um, <laughs> or, and not paying for yeah, it. Yeah, why bother? Fuck. <laughs> I'm going back to DVD. Stuff you there. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I can go to JB and find that shit in, a, in two minutes. Taken 3 is garbage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the reason why Taken 3 is garbage is because they try and go for the whole, oh, he's wrongfully accused. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least that makes me laugh because I think of Leslie Nielsen in a fucking lowrider that's bouncing up and down. And, yeah. <laughs> so I'll get some entertainment value out of it. Yeah, Taken Three's the lowest of the of the, of the period, mm. and as as you point, correctly pointed out, the John Wick franchise, the Equalizer, like the Equalizer and Taken are in similar ballparks. Like, it, let's just stay say that neither Taken or the Equalizer are you know top flight rump steak. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, it's no. more of a burger patty. <laughs> But similar sort of tone and similar quality. Yeah, that's but right. In series. my opinion, in my opinion, Taken's a Macca's cheeseburger, and the Equalizers, <laughs> you know, possibly a, it's got a bit of a wagyu, <laughs> wagyu fillet dropped in there or something like. <laughs> Denzel, Denzel is beef. again. Denzel phones it in, but Denzel phoning it in is better than 
90% of Hollywood's best work. So I think that's you know what, what does the job. I would disagree that Denzel phones it in. I don't think Denzel ever phones it in unless it's called virtuosity <laughs> or heart condition. <laughs> the rest of the time. The rest of the time, he is on on speakerphone. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. He's great. Yeah. He's always good. That's a conversation worth having. Look, we know what happened with Neeson. He walked into his agent's office. They said, listen, we've got this European film. It's about revenge and shit. Oh, I haven't done action films. They're going to offer you $10 million. All right. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then when Taken 1's okay, a hit. I'll take it. Taken 2 is, yeah, yeah. Um, give me the ten million, and then 20. then give me some some a, a cut on top. Like, I mean, I think he would have doubled. He would have doubled his salary. Yeah, because the first one was such a hit, and he then had a string of those kind of middling action films that were making money. Yeah, and the the studio would have been saying, "Shit, we need to give the guy a, a chunk of change to keep him around." I guess the positive for me is that uh, in my search of said streaming services. I didn't find Taken 3, but I did find Run All Night, The Commuter, Cold Pursuit. Unknown. So I think Unknown. Was so I've, I've, got, uh, I've got a plethora of, of Neeson's action work in the, in the wake of Taken to, to go through now. Just, I had, I, I, I ploughed through his, <laughs> I ploughed through his action work when it was, when it, when it came out. And to me, there are only two, that were serviceable. One was actually really good, The Grey. Yeah. I don't know if you ever saw that one. That's actually a, a really good movie because it's not really an action film. It's more of a kind of a drama thriller and requires some acting chops. Mm. The other one that I kind of enjoyed was Nonstop. Yeah, I think which I was the might, one on the plane. Yeah, I think I might have uh, that one there to watch too, so... I'll work my way yeah. through and uh, report it's, back. It's mildly diverting, but it also includes a slumming Julianne Moore. I don't know what the hell she's doing. <laughs> Again, someone said paycheck. She said yes. Yep, as you said, mate, everyone's got bills to pay. Exactly. Everyone, everyone has a price in Hollywood. Yeah, <laughs> everyone, even the rich people sometimes run up on a – sometimes they, you know, they pop open the mailbox and think, fuck, who used all the water this month because I've got to pay for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you knocked over the Taken franchise. I knocked over the Taken, part part of of the Taken franchise. I also watched, and I'd had this on DVD, and my my kids had kind of checked it out, but Batman vs. Ninja Turtles, the movie. What? It's an animated movie. (laughs) It's an animated movie. It's an animated movie that came out um, during the year, and I had actually, I'd read the comics that it was based on, and the comics were surprisingly fucking excellent. And how was the movie? The movie was pretty good. It's pretty good. It's good fun. Yeah. They they actually did a fantastic job of just looking at this and saying, "Well, this is what it is," and finding where the best kind of matches are. So they got a, f- a few of the other Batman characters and kind of paired them off with the turtles at time. And they had some excellent sequences involving who gets mutated by the fucking by the ooze. But yeah, it's. A- <clears throat> The series was excellent. The movie was it was pretty good. It tried to try to stay pretty true to it, but definitely entertaining. I, I would check it out. I would recommend it if you've got any interest in that DC stuff. Or I also got onto the entire Predator franchise again, uh, minus the really? uh, minus the Alien vs Predator films. 
yeah, in the wake of um, hunting grounds, son was just interested in, you know, who's this, who's that, what's this? And so I, I sort of worked through what we could watch. Basically, I watched all of it, all of the series myself. Obviously, one is just still an absolute classic. Two, for me, is still, I really love two. I, I get there, there's people there that just fucking hate number two. I, I can't see it. I, I love number two. Yeah, I think two had a lot going for it. Yeah. It wasn't as successful as the first one, and that's why I think people were disappointed. Yeah. And there was no Arnold and all that. But you know what? Danny Glover, Gary Busey, like the whole thing and and putting it in the city was a great idea. And two, actually, for people who are really into the franchise, I feel like two introduced a lot of the, the mythology. Two sort of expanded yeah. upon the I mean, we talked element. about this when we did the episode. Two is really a fountain of the mythology there and, and creates a lot of stuff that comes later. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Including Alien versus Predator. Correct. And, uh, yeah, I, I that end scene is one of my favourite things in the entire in the entire franchise, the whole kind of, you know, the elder Predator that gives him kind of the trophy and, you know, that went further to establishing the, the fucking what they're doing and all this sort of stuff. But, yeah, I, I love that one. Predators, still pretty good for me. The thing that always stands out for Predators for me is people still whinge about Adrian Brody being cast. And I look at it and I say, you got an excellent actor, but he also committed to fucking beefing up and making himself look like a bloke who could be in the services of some sort, you know? Yeah. So I... I, I mean, I said to you, the be- I think the best performance of the entire franchise. Well, I mean, second to none. He, he he is the best actor. He gives the best acting performance, no doubt. Yeah, and the, he he actually grounds the film for a large portion of it. Well, I really like his character. I like you know the, the moments that come out. I mean, I'm not saying the film's perfect. It's definitely not better than the original or anything like that. And uh, Roger Ebert made made a good point about how he thought the film would be better if Royce didn't tell us everything that was everything that was happening as it was happening, but. Um, I felt like that yeah. actually added to his character in parts, like that the, the people are just kind of sitting there, but he's always on this on this track of what the fuck's going on here, and people will just break out into a conversation and then Royce will just kind of be off on his own and then just kind of says something that, you know, they're tracking us yeah. or this is a game preserve or something like that. Um, Agreed. But, yeah, the, the, the obviously I watched The Predator again. Didn't – it was good to watch it again because – the disappointment had kind of faded a little bit. It's still, and you looked at it a little bit more closely? Well, I kind of looked at it as part of, rather than having this this super excitement level about it because of Shane Black's involvement and, and the, you know, the, the people that they'd managed to cast and things like that, I, I already knew that, that it wasn't what I wanted it to be. So when I watched it again, I was kind of trying to focus more on the positive stuff. So it was good in in that sense. I, I I enjoyed it. There was still stuff about it that I really love, and there was a, there was a couple of things that I wish had have been explored a bit more. Still, some heavily disappointing parts, like how Traeger goes down, and and a few of the ideas that they kind of just left hanging. But it was good to it was good to go back to it, knowing hey, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna absolutely love this, but let's just see what's there, you know. So that was kind of fun. Yeah. And the last thing I watched, which I possibly shouldn't have, I don't know why I watched it, but 
I stumbled onto Samurai Cop on uh, Amazon Prime. Uh, ah. <laughs> one of the it was uh, dubbed with the riff tracks stuff, which was cool. But holy shit, it is one of the most inept films <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> it was unbelievable, like the dialogue and stuff. Um, shit, you it's. You write this that stuff in bloody high school media class. I mean, I wrote better stuff than that in high school media class. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, I, I, put it this way, Robert Zadar is the best actor in it. <laughs> and, uh, oh, God. The guy, that, the guy that's in the lead has these long flowing, got this long flowing hair, and apparently they came back for reshoots, but nobody told the actors that they were going to be needed, so he'd cut his hair off. So there's a couple of sequences where, where he's wearing a wig. <laughs> it looks fucking ridiculous. <laughs> it's it's a laugh a minute. Like it's so inept that you, you're laughing almost through the whole picture. But yeah, I don't know if if you if you're interested in seeing good films and you don't find that sort of stuff funny, don't watch it. Like I wouldn't recommend it to Gibbo. He'd be fucking filthy. But uh, yeah, if if you've got any interest in in bad bad films, um, check that one out. Oh, you know I have. Yeah, yeah, get on it immediately. Now, one question before you close it up. Did you, did you or did you not watch Tiger King? I did, actually. Sorry. I, yeah, I watched I watched the entire run of Tiger King. What was your take on Tiger King? Oh, <laughs> awesome. Like, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> the story is just unbelievable, but then it's got so many sequences where you're just sitting there going, what? Like, you're looking at things that are happening, <laughs> even completely removed from the story, like the part where um, uh, Alan, the, the alleged hitman, they interview him in a bath at one point. <laughs> what's, in there going, what's he doing in the bath? <laughs> Couldn't we have just waited for him to, to fucking towel off and then interviewed him? <laughs> towel off and sit down. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the story just... It just was absolutely crazy. Oh, it was unbelievable. It was more than I thought it was going to be because I I initially thought it's all about this murder for hire plot. Yeah. But there was just shit stemming off everywhere. Well, as I said to you, the guy that came off as the most normal and and the the least crazy is supposedly the fucking real-life inspiration for Scarface. So... Yeah. <laughs> what does that yeah, say about God. everyone else that's involved? <laughs> and quite frankly, I could not stop laughing at the at Joe Exotic's music career. Oh, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. I mean, the second that the music starts going, you just you immediately say, That's not him. That is not him singing. <laughs> I mean he couldn't have picked anyone. I mean, he's got this kind of this high pitched kind of voice and this real twang and then the guy that's singing starts sounds like fucking Randy Travis, and I'm like, well, that's that's obviously not you. <laughs> and I love the film clip to his song about I saw a tiger where he's standing oh, on top magic. of like a I don't know, it looks like a police cruiser yeah. with lights going on and a massive fire in the background. <laughs> he's strumming his guitar and he's got like leather pants on. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh. Yeah, of I course. was laughing so hard. I saw, I saw a tiger, and the tiger saw a man. Like, fuck me, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Work on your lyrics a little bit. <laughs> Jesus. 
Christ. <laughs> is that, that, mean, that would fall under the story your, is crazy. That would fall under the category that you labelled um, observational pop, wouldn't it? <laughs> like, that's observational. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely observational. Similar to the Backstreet Boys about um, don't go breaking my heart because I've only got one. <laughs> <laughs> We're aware of that. Uh, yeah, basic uh, biology tells us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Glad you read your textbooks, fellas. <laughs> Unless, yeah, these guys have all got two marks. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, yeah. That was. I can't wait to see what they they do with. Oh, there's got to be more. I mean, everyone's getting up in arms about. Everyone that was in the show, of course, is getting up in arms about how they were portrayed. And they're like, oh, we thought this was going to be. About the cats. And I'm sitting there going, you fucking sat there and we got enough to fill a seven-episode series of plenty of Joe Exotic, but everyone else was talking about shit. Like, I mean, Carol Baskin's fucking <laughs> upset that, that they focused on her, the disappearance of her husband. You spoke about it numerous times in there. Like, did you think they were, they were just... And secondly, it's an unsolved murder case which you potentially are involved in. Yeah, well, there's a few fucking red flags there, let me tell you. <laughs> I reckon her current husband's sleeping with one eye open. <laughs> oh, well, that silly bastards are all in. He, he didn't look like he had any concerns whatsoever. <laughs> oh, I love the fact that their wedding photos were him dressed like fucking Barney Rubble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There was a couple of times I was With thinking. With a bloody collar around his neck at one point. Yeah, there was a couple of times I was thinking, mate, Joe Exotic's not the one you have to worry about. Like, you're in the you're in the lion's den right there, buddy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as if she gives a fuck about conservation. She's doing exactly what the other guys were doing, but she's dobbing all them yeah. in. Like, the only thing she's not doing is raising them. not breeding them. Giving them away. That's right. They're breeding That's them. That's right. But she's still keeping tigers in captivity. Yeah, and, right? and... And, yes, I know there's a fine line because you look at something like a zoo and people would say, well, the zoo is the same. But zoos are regulated and stuff. They're not half-baked operations like what Exotic was running. Yeah, and I would, look, I would like to get a look at how much of the money that is being paid to her fucking little park, how much of that actually gets moved on elsewhere or how much goes in your pocket. Because she's got, yeah. she had a fair chunk of people working there that weren't getting paid, and I. No, she had a heap of volunteers. I would suggest that uh, plenty of it's going into her pocket. So, but that's just me. Yeah, I'd say so. But yeah, it was a fantastic watch. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Unbelievable! Every time you just thought oh, we've hit, we've hit peak fucking crazy here, and it just up the stakes even further. <laughs> Oh, actually, yeah, definitely worth a watch. My favorite, Anybody who's my, got Netflix should check it out. I forgot my favorite moment was the eulogy where Joe Exotic starts talking about the bloke who's died. He starts talking about how he used to drop his balls out all the time. <laughs> 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 he just starts going, "Oh yeah, any time I was down, Travis would just walk up and he just dropped those balls in my face." And everyone starts kind of giggling, and he's like, ah, you'll know what I'm talking about. Anybody that's working here, you've seen those balls. (laughs) (laughs) It's a fucking funeral, mate. (laughs) Oh, my God. I forgot about that. (laughs) Jesus, Joe. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. And 
things got quite poignant there with him and what he ended up doing to, doing to himself. I didn't expect any of that. The first couple of episodes had me thinking, this Joe Exotic's an absolute lunatic. I can't wait to see more. And then it kind of spewed off into like true crime. Yeah, yeah. With her, with her husband. And then I started realising this has got a lot, lot, lot in it. Like a lot. Yeah. And it just kept going twists and turns left and right. It's just really, really well done. Uh, it's probably their best produced docker, I reckon. Yeah, I think, look, in a way, I think they were very lucky just to be on the scene with someone that was providing yeah. that much material and then for it to turn into what it did. It's like, oh, shit, how can you not, how can you not turn this into exactly. a bloody hit TV show? Did you have anything else, Joe? No, no, that was it. That was it. All right, let's take a break. Here's the trailer for 1985's Silver Bullet. It happened every time the moon was full. Nobody knew who or what was responsible. They only knew it had to be stopped. Friday at a theater near you. Consult local listings. Silver Bullet from 1985, directed by Daniel Attias, who he directed this as his first film, and then did not do another film project in his career, but has done a lot of television, including episodes of The Wire, Homeland, The Americans, etc. Like he's mm-hmm. done a lot of TV, some really quality TV too. The screenplay is by Stephen King, who gave us the um, riveting Maximum Overdrive, and it's based based on his novella Cycle of the Werewolf. It's produced by Martha De Laurentiis, uh, Dino's wife, and she produced Raw Deal and King Kong Lives. It stars Gary Busey as Uncle Red, Everett McGill as Reverend Lowe, Corey Haim as Marty Coslaw, and Megan Follows as Jane Coslaw. The budget is $7 million and the box office was 12 And a little bit of trivia, Dan Coscarelli, who's the director of Phantasm, was scheduled to direct the film but left over creative differences with Dino De Laurentiis. From my understanding was he had actually shot some of it uh, initially, the non-werewolf stuff, and then had the falling out. So I don't know. I'm assuming they started all over again. Yeah, I did. Now, I heard Jared. something that perhaps there is a couple of things in there that he st- that he did still in there, uh, but I didn't get any sort of clarification on what it was. Yeah, well, he was only there for a week or something, I think. So it probably wouldn't have been a lot. No, but yeah, I th- a lot of it, according to some of the other trivia I read, that is that Dino De Laurentiis seemed to have very um negative feelings towards the, the werewolf suit. Yeah. To the actor they had playing the werewolf, which who was a dancer and movement guy. And I think in the end Everett McGill ended up being in the suit. Yeah, he did. So there's quite a bit to their production history that's quite interesting. Hmm. And the Blu-ray we both got, I think, covers off on a bit of that. They actually speak to Everett McGill. They speak to the special effects guys. Yeah, I watched the conversation I with a- Everett McGill. Um, I didn't didn't watch too much further than that. I believe there's also a commentary on there. From yeah, Daniel Adius. So that yep. might be interesting to check out. What are your thoughts, mate, on Silver Bullet? I actually felt it held up surprisingly well. 
I think I have a I've got a bit of a fondness for these sort of monster these sort of monster flicks. It's got a bit of a monster squad kind of vibe to it in some ways. But you don't you just I, I feel like you don't see this sort of stuff as much anymore. Yeah. So I, I I do have a real sort of fondness for it. I think there's definitely something to that it was possibly a little bit mixed up in terms of the 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 tone and the rating. Like it definitely felt like something that should have it should shouldn't have been an R-rated flick. I mean, your protagonists are both young people, and usually when you got got people like of that age, generally the stuff is aimed at that age or similar. And it feels like this one sort of is, but then you get you get some nasty kind of gore in there and whatnot and a couple of sequences that would freak the shit out of kids that age, I think. There's definitely a few things that, that hold it back a little bit. I think the werewolf does look a bit ordinary at times. I don't actually think it looks that bad, but it's just been done better in other movies, which kind of goes against it. And I think that it's uh, it definitely has aged a little bit. It doesn't... It, 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 it definitely feels its age when you kind of you look at the situations and the and the um, the costumes and things like that. But overall, I had I had a lot of fun with it. I think it's to be fair, it's probably a three. Yeah, look, that's 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 a pretty good um, breakdown, and I'm in a similar position with it. It's an enjo- it's an enjoyable sort of adaption of the the novella is quite short if I remember correctly. Um, and when I was a kid, I loved it because it had pictures in it. <laughs> okay. I really wasn't capable of digesting kids' <laughs> major sort of tomes. So something like something like The Werewolf worked beautifully for me yeah. because it had little chapters of three or four pages and then it had a Bernie Wrightson picture of each chapter. Yep. So the novella's not that big. I think they do a pretty good job fleshing it out and surprisingly King's screenplay is actually pretty good across the board. I love the fact that it, it takes the classic King elements of the small town with evil lurking beneath it, which is a staple of his work. Mm-hmm. The acting is A+. plus. I think they really, really got lucky with the quality of the cast at the end of the day. Um, Gary Busey is fantastic, and then you've got really solid professionals in there like Terry O'Quinn, Everett McGill. Even the kids are quite well cast. Yeah, the kids uh, are both. Corey Hayne, just like Corey Feldman, when he was young, he was a very, very solid young actor. Yeah, they were both Sorry. very, very good actors, the, the, the uh, yeah, brother and sister and combo. So. Yeah, so having that adds to the quality of the film. And there are several really standout sequences for me that I really liked. They kind of they kind of cover over some of the issues and, and you pointed out pointed to the actual werewolf. Although yes, the wolf effects at times are okay, it's it had already been done let's be honest, 20 times better in something like American Werewolf in London, and that was four years beforehand. So the quality of the effects looked kind of ropey up against something like that. But overall, I'm like you, three out of five. Really, I I kind of enjoyed myself while watching it. Mm, Definitely. As I said to start the likes, cast is just really, really solid. Yeah, definitely. Busey is MVP. Oh, he's having a great time. 
He's having a great time. According to a lot of the stuff I read, he ad-libbed a fair bit and it works a treat. Like yeah. he takes this kind of low-life character but makes him fun, entertaining, and you root for him. Well, he kind of care about the bloke. He kind of nails and that's difficult to do. Well, he kind of nails what you what you see the kids sort of see in him. Like they show yeah. they show a couple of his rough edges, but they kind of show how he's he really does care for the kids and he's kind of fun loving and the way that he talks, you can imagine the kids thinking, "Yeah, shit, I can't wait to hang out with Uncle Red again because he's yeah, you know, he's souping up my fucking motorized wheelchair." <laughs> And the way that he yeah, talks he's, he's, is kind of funny. Like, yeah, so I, I think yeah, he's, he's got this turn of phrase a couple of times that is just so funny. Yeah, and it, again, I think you'll find it's all ad libbed material where he's just kind of gone off the script and just. I would assume that Busey probably, you know, cooked up an idea of what this character would be like and then just sort of went with it, and it works out really, really nicely for what this is. You know? Yeah, I mean, his turn of phrase. I was I was laughing along with it. Like you could see, as I said, you could see the kids enjoying what he was talking. Like the the part where they're trying to explain to him that it's the that it's the Reverend, <laughs> he's just fucking not having it, and he keeps going on and saying these random little things, and then he starts going, oh, <laughs> I'm little, he goes, I'm a little too so old to be playing Hardy Boys." You've been sending letters to the Reverend. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, too old to be playing Hardy Boys meets Reverend Werewolf. Shit. <laughs> yeah. What does he say to him? You've been sending letters to the Reverend telling him to eat broken glass and yeah. <laughs> eat an omelette filled with rat poison. <laughs> yeah, he's he's uh, he's certainly putting in, which is, I think it, it, it certainly, it, that's where a lot of the good stuff was. Yeah, and then you've got Everett McGill. You've got Terry O'Quinn, you've got Lawrence Tierney, you've got you've got people that you can trust in in smaller roles who give you a decent like decent performances and they don't sort of let you down. Definitely. And I think that that's a big part of a movie like this made on a pretty slim budget. You you want to get the best actors you can get, and I think they did. Plenty of gore. Yeah, surprising amount. With some pretty good practical effects. Yeah, mostly I think they uh, the practicals do do the job, especially uh, like there's parts where there's heads being taken off and things, and that all looks pretty good. I had to laugh on that bit though. His head has been basically screwed off, <laughs> <laughs> and they go, "Oh no, they think he just laid down the train tracks." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's an accident. Oh, I gotta what? say, I absolutely love that. I was sitting there going, "Oh, look at this—the bloody good old days where you could just get shit faced on the job." Like this. <laughs> <laughs> He's out on the train yeah. tracks, driving his little cart, machinery. just yeah, just sinking. He's, he's just um, demolishing tins, or <laughs> I don't know what he's what he's got there, but. Um, yeah, I did actually. I, I actually really like that. I know, as you said, his head was screwed off, but I like the fact that they insinuated that we saw the body there, but then it got fucking run over anyway. Yeah. So that they just fucking just said, "Yeah, nah, open and shut case." This one. Um, he got drunk and he he 
he fell down on the train track and that was it. Yeah. It was mangled, so they probably weren't able to work it out. I really like that because it fit in, as you said, with sort of Stephen King's sort of small towns and the way that they've got their little kind of, their little histories. It sort of sounded like exactly that sort of story, you know, oh, yeah, I'll so-and-so who used to get shit-faced ended up down by the train tracks and fucking got himself run over or actually working on the train tracks and got himself run over. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, that's... And that, that opening kill is quite good because it kind of almost feels like a slasher movie. It does, definitely. And they shoot POV and, and all that stuff, watching him and then they try and sort of give you the... A little bit of um, misdirection about where it's coming from, yep. and then they just come out of nowhere and rip his head off. Yeah, I thought it was a nice little opening, actually. All, all the yeah, all together. I, I mentioned before in my opening statements about it is that small town stuff is is King's bag, and I really like the the look of Tarkas Mill, and you know all that sort of like you know they're all um, having a um, a kind of like a a thing in the park at the start, you know, where all the families gather and all that sort of shit. Yep. It just felt so sort of late 70s small town. Mm. So I think they did a really good job there from both production design standpoint and and just generally the way they kind of showed it mm. in, in the film. When later on, when the curfew's in effect, they show some shots of, like, the town just basically shut down. Yeah. And... It's kind of got a haunting feel about it. All the roads are empty. It's just, it's really well done in that respect. Yeah, I thought so. I, I, I would, it just, uh, it's one of the things that you sort of go back to King for. He sort of paints the picture so well for you, and you see, you can relate certain things to it because he does it so well. Yeah, definitely. Maybe we should have some werewolves running around at the moment during COVID-19. Oh, Keep people in there. They wouldn't fucking find anyone. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. If you got taken by the werewolf, well, you should have been in at home inside. So, bad luck. Yeah. The shot of Terry O'Quinn walking away from the, the young boy's body carrying the... Yeah, holding the kite. the kite. Covered in blood. Yeah. And just... Constantly repeating like the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, that was excellent. Mate, that shit was really, really. That was really. Um, it kind of creepy. Like it felt. You kind of felt for it because you kind of knew that he's just seen this kid ripped to shreds. Well, that that and was, it was really. Uh, it, was, it was one of the one of the better ways I've seen that sort of done. They didn't show anything about the kid, but that was one of the most sort of impactful because of that that sequence. And then you follow yeah. it up with his dad straight after that. It was, yeah, it was all, I thought that was excellent. Yeah, and they don't show you any gore at all. No. And I think that, again, a little bit of restraint, and it actually works out really, really well in this particular death because it's a child, you know, and you know what happened. Yep. You know it. You just don't have to see it. And I think it was, and, and the acting from both of those two, his father and Terry O'Quinn, is excellent. Yeah, I thought that was really good, actually. I actually enjoyed, I initially looking back as I was getting to this scene, I was thinking, oh, I wasn't really a big fan of this back when I first, the first few times I saw it. But I actually kind of like the, the, the scene where the werewolf kills all the vigilantes. Yeah, same. And it's in the forest and it's coated, the ground is just coated with a thick fog, you know. I mean, and it, when it kicks off, you're looking at it going, this is dumb. Because of the fog and the way that it's coming up from under the fog and whatever, 
But as it plays out, it is quite effective. Yeah. Despite that kind of silly element to it, it, it does end up being very effective. Yeah. I mean, it looked like um, Halloween 5. <laughs> yeah, fog everywhere. <laughs> Ramp up the fog. More fog, more, more, more. But the scene actually works because it's shot in a certain way and keeps the werewolf almost out of it. Like, you don't even see it. Yeah, well, it keeps it keeps it out of sight again. Just shows you those little parts that don't kind of show up. It shows it quick enough that it doesn't show up that the limitations of the special effects that we were talking about there. Yeah. So I really, really enjoyed it in the end. Like, uh, as I said, that, that it, it just seemed so silly when you got into it, but... As it played out, it turned out to be yeah one of one of the parts of the movie that I enjoyed the most. I had to chuckle at the acting performance of the bloke who steps in the bear trap, though. Oh yeah, <laughs> he steps in the bear trap, overacts to the hilt. <laughs> so he's like, <laughs> and then the guy opens the trap. Here's something. Let's go of it, and it closes again, and the guy goes into overacting mode again. <laughs> I'm just like, holy shit! Oh man, you actually you skipped over the oh, uh, the scene before that in the bar, the whole scene about private justice. Yeah, that was excellent, yeah. excellent. Um, yeah, the back and forth, especially the whole thing about Terry O'Quinn saying. This private justice, you know, it's a it's a hair away from one step away from lynch moms and 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 hangman's ropes, and I thought that was a really really cool way of sort of putting it. You know, we're almost going back into the day where we used to lynch people. Yeah, that's right. And then you, the, know. you know, the 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 kid's dad comes in. What's his name? Grady. Grady's dad comes in to yeah. to sort of come back with you know I'm gonna yeah you know, he he breaks it all down and then sort of says I'm going to get some private justice I actually thought that scene was excellent as you said reliable actors doing the job but a well written little scene yeah although Definitely. I'm not sure who thinks travelling in a pack with every person in the pack going yeehaw and fucking screaming out and yelling <laughs> and stuff I don't know how you think you're gonna sneak up on anyone I don't, I don't, I'm not sure who you were catching but. <laughs> Because at that stage, I'm pretty sure we, nobody thought there was a werewolf running around, so it wasn't a, it wasn't like hunting an animal. It was. Like... You know that every guy in that crew had had 15 tins. Yeah, exactly. No, no, someone's got the dogs Probably out. Getting out on the road. Someone's got the dogs out, and I'm thinking, what are you sniffing? Like, what are, what are they actually sniffing here? Because we haven't got anything. Yeah, I've got something to dislike about this too, <laughs> and I'll get to it. But it's very, it's rather amusing. Yes. But, uh, yeah, I, I did enjoy that scene sequence? overall. Yeah, yeah, I think it works. The dream sequence involving everybody turning into a werewolf in the church, again, it was one that I was sort of getting to with a bit of trepidation, but I actually think it's done pretty well. They, they do a good enough job with the creature effects. They don't overplay it, and they shoot a lot of it in darkness with a lot of quick cuts. Yeah. And I think it also, it does a good job of just showcasing, you know, I mean, it pretty much gives away the fact that, spoiler alert, the Reverend is the wolf. But I just thought it was a nice scene to have a, have that kind of dream sequence tossed in there, especially when it kind of starts with him, like, back, you know, doing a funeral 
like he had been before with um, Brady or Grady. So you think it's just another funeral for all the dead guys who died from the vigilante group? Yeah, well... Uh, and then it slowly kicks into the, they're changing. It was one of the standouts for me where I thought, this is this is where the line between PG and, and R is, is <laughs> like, this was where it was pushing towards, you know, the higher rating. You, you couldn't show that to kids without them being heavily freaked out by it, I wouldn't, th- I wouldn't think. So Yeah. even now, watching it as an adult, there was parts that were just kind of looking at it going, that's fucking eerie, like the way that it played yes. out. That that was actually where the, the werewolf effects were possibly the best. Yeah, because they weren't full wolves. Yeah, and you didn't see a lot that of... That was part of it. They were, they were partial. And you didn't see a lot of the transformation and that sort of thing. So when they st- the guy starts fucking kind of growling and the teeth show up and then everyone breaks out into it. The way that it was shot, you felt like you could be at the, you know standing at the pulpit and everyone was just fucking surrounding you and there was nowhere to go. Mm. So, I, yeah, I, I really like that scene. For some reason, I got a huge chuckle out of Busey when he finally soups up the little bike thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he, he tells... Corey Haim to just wait a second. He checks around the corner to make sure no one no one knows they're pissing <laughs> off. Yeah, and he's he comes he comes sort of creeping back at a you know as quick as he can. And he says, "I feel like a virgin on prom." <laughs> <laughs> I just started, started cackling. I thought, "Oh, go on. Yeah, yeah, just go." On. That was just another example of him where where he sort of endeared endeared himself as as you know just. Fitting perfectly in that in that role that he'd been cast in, like, and especially, I mean, souping up that wheelchair, shit, that's another like for me. If I get to a point where I am unable to walk, I want something fucking rigged up just like that because it was fucking yes, yes. steaming around town. <laughs> like, I want something that goes 150k. <laughs> <laughs> he was flogging it. He was overtaking cars on the road. <laughs> He outran another. He, he outran a car in a fucking road chase. Yeah, awesome. I mean, essentially, it was a motorbike. Yeah, I loved it. And speaking of that, I thought that highway chase was actually pretty good. Yeah, they threw in a bit of suspense, a bit of excitement. They took it slightly differently in the fact that it's a horror film, but it kind of felt like an action scene. But it just kind of took things out of a malaise and quickly juiced it up a bit. Yep. Um, with him driving it into the abandoned the bridge, bridge yeah. and then Reverend Lowe coming up behind him and everything. That was all good stuff. Yeah, I thought that was that was quite well done, actually. Again, much like you, it was a scene that wasn't necessarily like a, a standout for me, but I couldn't stop laughing about it when the guy that's running the, the gun store, who... He's the seems to be the loosest cannon in town, so I'm not sure why he's running the gun store. I wouldn't be out of the keys to the joint over to him. But anyway, but the bit where they're initially the very first scene where they're in the bar slinging some mud. Oh, maybe it's a. Oh, it might be a bit further in, but I think he gets in a bit of back and forth with the deputy, and then. Yeah. They're about to. It looks like they're about to step outside, and the barman comes in. and goes, "Hey, you boys better turn down your thermostats." And then after he's finished saying what he's got to say, he goes, now who's drinking? And I'm thinking, yeah, that's the way to diffuse the situation. Let's settle them down and then, yeah, yeah. then gas turn them up. Turn down your thermostats and then let's immediately turn them back up. <laughs> yeah, turn the thermostats down, gas them up in. with another six pints and then see them settle down after that, mate. Like, that'll... Oh, yeah. Look, thermostats, let's face it, thermostats will be on low after you've had another six, <laughs> six bloody scooters. <laughs> You surely won't want to hit anybody. Yeah, well, maybe his plan of attack was 
Um, they'll still be upset with each other, but they won't be able to knock the fucking skin off a rice pudding after another fucking <laughs> 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 another six bottles under their belt. Like, yeah, it was quite. I did. I, I just had a chuckle though. I was like, yeah, classic kind of. Yeah, classic eighties. <laughs> just yeah, settle down. Let's and get it. Just- get another fucking skin full <laughs> under the belt. <laughs> classic, uh, classic small town uh, 80s stuff, you know. Don't worry, more grog will fit. <laughs> yeah. I just was going to touch back on um, on Busey again. There's a sequence where, because throughout the early part of the film, him and Corey Haim's mum are at, at odds with each other. Yeah. About his drinking and the example he's setting for the kids. And, and I really like that bit where he, she sort of says his... Um, his disability is like a, a stumbling block, and he's and Busey's like it's not a stumbling block, you know. Like, I, I really like that those interactions, but then when they finally get together to have like a, a barbecue dinner, that whole scene, the way Busey sort of handles it, it's just it's gold, mate. It's absolute gold. The way he speaks to everybody. This sort of gregarious kind of jokey manner, the way he does that whole puts his hand out to Corey Haim and then takes it back and all that sort of stuff to shake hands. Like it's just it just showcases what, you know, when you get a really good actor who can do that sort of stuff, it felt so natural. Yeah. And I think that's a that's a huge positive to to what he brought to this movie. Yeah, I think so. The stuff that you were talking about with his mum there, I actually really liked that and the way that they played that with the brother-sister relationship with the kids, I actually felt like yeah. it was not not done enough. But there was a couple of, you know, the, that back and forth especially was was really um, interesting between between Busey and his, um, his sister. But then later on when Busey says to him, you, you, and, you and your brother are like me and your mum, you know, and we, 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 uh, we were just like you and we still are. And I just felt like that was a like for me that they kind of broached on that. And I did like the brother-sister relationship, how she sort of says, I love the kid, but he's my cross to bear and all this sort of stuff, the way she sort of gets piled with with looking after him all the time. And um, I felt like they could have done a bit more of that, but I, I'm the same. I really liked how they handled those sort of interactions there. The film, I felt, could have probably benefited from an extra 15 minutes of of character work and stuff like that. Mm. I think, unfortunately, you're talking about a monster movie, so you're probably yeah. trying to trim it to its bare necessities and its bare bare bones to get people into the cinema. But if you gave me 15 minutes of extra character work nicely placed in, I would have been still with it. Yeah, for sure. Because I think they did such a good job to get those characters to be likeable. Yep. And... In a 90-minute film, you managed to get us to root for them for the finale. I think they did a pretty good job at that, and a little bit of extra work would have probably just tipped it over a, a bit further into being, you know, a three-and-a-half-star sort of film. Yeah, I think so. I, I think, yeah, a little bit more of the brother-sister stuff and the paralleling that with Busey, and oh, that, would have, that would have been uh, fine by me. The finale is actually really well done. They actually craft a bit of suspense before the wolf busts through the window hmm. and that it, that it ends in that kind of shootout and the whole thing of the he took the bullet out of the gun and then it, it, when he gets hit, it, both of them fly to different ends of the room and, and, and the look on Bruce's face when it actually comes through the window, like you can tell he didn't know it was coming. Yeah, yeah. 
Like, he shits himself. I think it's uh, <laughs> it's short and sharp, which is good. It doesn't go very long at all. No. Nah. But I think they kind of set up everything that they needed to set up. I, I like the sort of stuff before that too, when they're getting the silver bullet crafted, where the voiceover says, you know, Marty had, had looked at everything related to werewolves and all the mythology had its differences, but the, the one thing that was constant was a silver bullet will do the job. Um, yeah. Which I thought was thought was pretty cool. It was it was only very a very minor thing, but I thought that fit and nicely kind of set up the end there. Yeah, what was necessary for for the finale? It probably actually has some of the better effects too when he actually degenerates from werewolf to human. Um, they mm. use a little bit of that, um, you know, sped up footage and reverse footage of hair growing and, and, and disappearing and all that. Yeah, and, and, you yeah. know, that's been done in a lot of those practical werewolf films at the time, like The Howling and um, American Werewolf from London. But it, it works really well here just to finish it off, and it actually ends up looking quite good. Mm. Um, as Yeah, I thought that, that looked fine, that stuff. Yeah. Now, that was all I had in the likes department. Have you got anything else? No, just, well, again, just a couple of brief things about um, I love the shot of when Marty's setting off the crackers where they go to the water and then sort of pan across and you just see the reflection of the werewolf. Yeah. I thought that was a really crafty way to get away with not actually showing it, but sort of showing that he was in danger at the time. I really like that. And the scene where his sister, it was like you were saying before, there was a couple of things that were just sort of eerie and, and, and worked out quite well to sort of ramp up the, the scares and the tension without doing a whole lot was the scene where she's walking around looking at people's eyes. Yeah. I thought that that was really good because they used these shot Again, Daniel uh, Attius, that's his name, yeah. isn't it, Daniel Attius? He, he uh, did a great job there of just the way that he shot people's faces was in a, you know, was in a kind of uncomfortable close-ups with them looking at the camera, which you're not really used to. Yeah. You don't see that as much. Like, you're used to actors sort of avoiding the, the contact, eye contact with the camera. And it was so it was sort of these uncomfortable close-ups right at people's eyes. And it was a very small thing, but it did a really good job of making you kind of uncomfortable, putting you in her shoes of trying to sort of sort that, sort that out. And... And the you same know, is that whole shot of the guy with the, um, you know, the whole shot of the guy with the hot towel on his face. Yeah, and yeah. How she has to go over and actually engage him, so she can remove the towel. Yeah. <clears throat> and as you said, you you were sort of already, especially if you've watched it before, you were already onto where, you know, what was going to happen. But it still kind of put you in the shoes of she really, you know, she wants to confirm, she wants to believe her brother, she wants to confirm what he's saying. Yeah. But it's kind of uncomfortable and sort of, yeah, I, I thought that was really good. Anything else, mate? No, that was it. All right, dislikes. First thing for me is the narration seems out of place because it doesn't yeah. really fold back to an ending that satisfies why we had it. Because it's being narrated well, by the sister as an older person, so wouldn't you have barely used the film in present day? Wouldn't that be well? The- I thought something like that, or the the fact that it's 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 just not used. It's only it's only there a handful of times. My thinking is it's kind of like a a callback to the book because I think the book's written in the same way. Yeah, in a narration sort of style. 
And I did read some trivia to say that there was they added it later. Oh, okay. Yeah, makes sense. So maybe that's why I feel. Again, I didn't really pick up on this until Roger Ebert mentioned it, and I think it was because I'm watching it now, so I know, like, I'm looking back on it, and you kind of get lost in the moment for a little bit and look at it like this is in the 80s, and that's a long time ago now. But then when Roger Ebert mentioned it's actually set in the 70s, in, like, 70, what was it, 79 or 70? 70, 76, I think, I 77. What it was. 76, 76. So he's like... The narrator at the time, she's still a very young woman. Yeah, but it's an it sounds like an old woman, older woman yeah, talking. Or is it, you know, meant to be her from the future, like in the nineties or something like that? Well, that's what I was, and and this is why I didn't pick up on it is because I was watching it in that mindset of we're in twenty twenty, and this is in the eighties. So when I was watching it now. The old woman's voice made old. Well, I say old woman's, but it sounded like a you know a, a, an adult woman. It made sense, but then you know when you when you step back from that and go, oh yeah, it was made in nineteen eighty five. Yeah, so she wouldn't have been that old. So she would have been twenty. Um, she was nineteen. She said, "I was nineteen in the in that nineteen seventy six. So she would have was been, she? If you were going by when the movie was made, she didn't look nineteen. No, the actress was actually only 17, I believe. I thought even the character, I felt like the character was younger than that. But anyway, it just, yeah, it felt a little bit... So she would have been 29. Off. (laughs) And usually you don't sound like a geriatric. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she wasn't quite, uh, she wasn't quite old mate from the Green Mile. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she was. Uh, it did seem twenty nine. I'll put it that yeah. way. So it, it, it's a really strange choice, and I think it feels like it was something that they wanted to call back to the book somewhat. And some of that is in the yeah. book, I believe. And, and the, the book is written in almost like diary form, I believe. Yep. Yeah, I remember flicking through it a couple of times in, for the pictures. For the picture, well, fuck, I wasn't reading it. I was just like, oh, shit, I'm not reading that. Oh, the pictures are nice, as you said. The Their constant comments about uh, Marty being a cripple. Yeah. Like, I know it's a product of its time, but it makes me cringe. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, King does this sometimes where you kind of, he, he broaches that uncomfortable stuff through particular characters that aren't, Nice people, I guess, would be a way to put it. But yeah, it's it's pretty. Uh, yeah, but his sister calls yeah, him a cripple. So the, does Beauty. <laughs> I know it's at it's at the forefront a couple of times, and it's um. I, this, I mean, this kind of goes into another one of my dislikes. Is one of the big differences to the usual king is that Marty is. I guess he's he's main, He's sort of the protagonist. It's, you could split it between the two kids, but to me, he spends the most time as the one sort of driving the story. Is that he's he's disabled. He's he's got a disability, which is not something the king has necessarily broached a whole lot of times. Yeah. But in the in the end, in the movie, that doesn't mean a lot. Um, no, they have a throwaway just, scene where he watches the kids play baseball. Yeah. And then Reverend Lowe tries um, to run down. But it's, yeah, it's a two they, minute scene. They don't, they don't dig into it a whole no, lot. No, he kind of like you and can I'll, see that he's pining for the fact that. He can't, he'd like to be out there playing and everything. 
but it's yeah. just kind of like nothing deeply. It look as I said, it's touched on at one point where Beauty and uh, Marty's mother have that confrontation and talk about it, but it's yeah, not, yeah, it's not front and center. And again, I guess I'm looking at it. You got to look at it from the perspective of this is a B movie that's about monsters. <laughs> you had to trim a little bit of the. Excess, I guess, to get to the monster stuff. Yeah, but that's that's a that's a cop out. I mean, I look at something like it. Yeah, and obviously, you know, a lot of the time is spent with Pennywise and and the monster. But the way that I look at, you know, Bill Denver or something like he his brother and his grief over his brother plays a big part mm. in, in how he deals with it. And so I felt like it could have been something that you could go for and it would have actually made it a little bit of a better movie. I, th- I think you could have – I'm not going to suggest any ways that you could have done it because I'm not I'm not pretending I'm better than Stephen King at, at crafting characters or anything like that, but I just felt like when they, when they went and made the movie that it could have – it could have played more of a role. Yeah, and I think looking back, there's more – there's several probably little pieces that could have been added to that weren't. Which, yeah. is, which is disappointing because, as I said, a little bit of extra character development and things like that, this movie could have been a little higher, held in a little higher regard, I think. Yeah, well, building on that, the, the relationship with the sister, I felt it was underdeveloped. Like she, she says she says he was my cross to bear, which is kind of an interesting thing to say. Like anyone with a sibling who – I mean, anyone with a sibling in general has probably felt like that in some ways sometime. Yeah. Like – the way that you know she loves him, but there's these things that you got to deal with. And at the end of the story, you see, you know, she's kind of she's kind of bridged that gap. But there was nothing really getting there. It was just like, yeah, we dealt with this werewolf together, which is, you know, it's a big thing. But in the story, it's just it, it doesn't feel like Marty was ever really the cross. No. Um, so I, I think, yeah, building on that and and the Busey and him and his mother, like you look at him and his mother. And Busey is a clearly a cross to bear for the mother still, yeah. with his drinking and that sort of thing. And you get he's that little divorced, sense of it. He's drinking, yes. Like, yeah, but you get it, it. It's a little bit underdone with the kids. And I think playing up that connect to the older, you know, the mother and the uncle, how you know their brother and sister relationship, and then then with the kids as well. I just see, yeah, there's 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 some things that could have really just strengthened it just a little bit there. I felt. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Unfortunately, the creature never really looks convincing for me. No. They do their best to try and hide it um, for, for periods. It looks like a yeah. bear, not a Yeah, leaf. well, that was the, that was the kind of the standard sort of line about it, wasn't it? That it was a – that it was a – it looked like a bear more than it looked like a werewolf. Yeah. And, <laughs> and some people were saying, yeah, but how do we know what a werewolf looks like? And then other people were like, well, a wolf would be a good start. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not a bear. And the budget could have had something to do with it. I mean, it's not an expensive picture. Obviously, there were problems with the design from the perspective of the uh, producers. They were obviously weren't happy with it. And look, Dan Adias does a decent enough job to try and cut around it as best he possibly can. But it just never looks convincing. No, I mean, even in some of the POV stuff, like, as you said, he does a good job to shoot around it and, you know, you only see sort of fleeting glance, glances of, of the, the claw and things like that coming into shot. 
Yeah. But even in some of those, it doesn't look all that good. And there's one there's one scene in particular where it doesn't work, and it's exactly what you said before. The sequence when he's on the bridge letting off the fireworks, they do the, the little one where they run along the water and they show it there. Um, mm. I, I think that's a good shot. I would have preferred it was slightly shorter so you didn't see it. Yep. Quite so much, but then they show close-ups of its feet, its hands, and its head, and all yeah. of them look like rubber. Like it's just <laughs> like, no, you should not have had any of those. In fact, you should have just done Corey Haim looking up and knowing, where you know, and you could have gone POV. Because well, shit. At the time, nineteen eighty-five, couldn't they just have ordered a couple of cans of spray-on hair off the TV? <laughs> I mean, that would have looked better, wouldn't well, it? Well, shit. I could spray on hair on the feet now. Yeah, that, that 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 was a that was a booming business in eighty-five. <laughs> you 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 know Chuck Norris had many cans. <laughs> yeah, I've suggested that might be the case. <laughs> but yeah, just don't point it out to us. Yeah, like, yeah. Don't keep point it under. Try it. Yeah, try it. I mean, that sequence especially, like, it was ramping up to the point where you knew we're going to have to see this thing sooner or later. But they'd done a pretty good job of shooting around it prior, case in point, the scene in the fog. Mm. So the scene on the bridge, it sort of deflated the expectations even further, I guess. To me, I would have hit it for as long as possible and basically revealed in the finale. Yeah. Because you know that the production team were not happy with what they got. So Correct. if I'm the producer, I'm saying... Dino, Dino was fucking furious, Yeah, he was. He? And if I'm the producer, I'm saying to the director, you avoid this thing at all costs. Yeah, you, you, you cut around this as much as you can. Yep. And they had ample opportunity to do it. And the times when they did briefly show it... Like the sequence where the guy gets killed in the greenhouse and dragged down, down to the ground, that worked fine. You only saw it in a fleeting glance where it sort of comes up and grabs him around the waist and then pulls him down. You know, take a leaf out of that book. Yeah, I think so. Speaking of that sequence, that bloke is the worst actor in the movie. Oh, he's, he's the worst human being and the worst actor. He's in terrible. The movie. There's a sequence where he's yeah. watching wrestling. Yeah. He's, yeah. <laughs> he's just rambling about, like, ah, crush him. And, ah. and he's trying to do, like, drunk. But it comes yeah. across as, like, fake drunk. Yeah, they they, they um, scattered many a brown bottle around the scene yeah. to try and convince us. But, uh, yeah, he didn't quite do it. Yeah, that's right. Um, but, yeah, he is shocking. I mean, quite frankly, it's not fit for a high school production. <laughs> Well, when you know, my daughter was in college, I saw better productions and performances on stage <laughs> at the college. <laughs> there's a lot of un, there's a lot of unchecked talent in those in those high school productions. <laughs> Not to knock the people who are involved in the high school stuff and <laughs> the college stuff, but this was just it was terrible. Are you are you telling me there was no sort of you know there was no future Russell Crowe's getting around? No, that, there was a couple of decent that. decent actors. That's what I'm saying. I saw better talent on stage. Yeah. This bloke was yep. in a cinema release film. <laughs> he should not have been. Did we check his name in the credits? No, I didn't check him. I can't. Was it like 
Because was his name like I don't know? Was it Bruno Delarentis or something like that? <laughs> and he just snuck in for a, uh-huh, <laughs> a quick cameo. <laughs> it could have been. Uh, it could have been one of those people where you know that the, the person that was supposed to be doing the role is called in sick, so they just put the fucking production designer yeah. or something yeah. in it. Yeah, it's only a quick role. You'll only have to be on set for fucking two days or something. Yeah. Look, I love Everett McGill. I think he's a really good actor and I think the performance is solid. But, you know, it's not hard to work out. He's the man. No, no, it doesn't take long. All sides point to Reverend Lowe. (laughs) Yeah. And it doesn't, again, that's something that could have been explored a little bit more, that the guy in town that's supposed to be the, you know, the, the beacon of telling you how to avoid the evils is the one that's... Yeah. That is the evil. But he made some, in that interview with him, he made some really good points about, you know, how um, uh, when you watch it, the first couple of people he kills are touched by sin, yeah. I guess. Like when he's talking about the bloke who's the drunk, he was touched by... <laughs> What's his sin? He was Did touched you know by... Oh, I was going to say, he was touched by many sins <laughs> all in one session. But, well, his lips touched um, the edge the, of a bloody tin can. <laughs> <laughs> just just once or twice. But the the woman, he was talking about how, you know, uh, and they mentioned it in the movie, that suicide, you know, if you're considering suicides, you'll go to hell. So Everett McGill was talking about how he was trying to get into the character and talking about how those guys were, in a sense, he was saving her because he was stopping her from doing it herself and yeah. this sort of stuff, which was, you know, an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, unfortunately, he's one of those actors who's like, Jack Nicholson in The Shining, you know. At no point yeah. does he look normal, you know. Yeah. You know there's something I mean, it, it's, if you, it, it's just like when you see Brad DeRiff show up in a, in a movie <laughs> and you think, uh, yeah, he's not. He's not 100% above board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who's the psycho again? Oh, that guy. Ah, <laughs> um, uh, yes. Great actor, is- but, uh, yeah. I wasn't looking at it from the lens of a mystery because obviously I already knew. No. But that's another yeah, exactly. dislike for me is it didn't even sort of try no. to go no. for a mystery I mean, element. I mean, I think they could have even included like a a, a, a a vagrant or a guy who's swung into town, Rambo style, you know, <laughs> and they... Well, people who are, you know, the people who, who are used to this stuff and are looking for that, Probably could have picked it up from the first time he's on the screen. Yeah, and that's what I mean. You know, the great actor that he is, he's got one of those faces that makes you think, yeah, something's not quite right about this one. Yeah, but when you're looking for that stuff and you know what you're looking for, the compass sort of immediately points that direction and it doesn't really stray. And they don't really put anyone else in the way. Another option. If you wanted to be a mystery, have a slightly mysterious element, which is what they were going for, because there's a whole sequence of the sister walking around checking everyone out. You know, it's mystery. Yeah, exactly. Who's the, who's the villain? Yep. You needed to give me give me a couple of other options. You know, it's classic whodunit stuff is four or five different options who could have done it. And Correct. And then we whittle them down. Look, it's not, it's not Agatha Christie, but you could have given us, you know, uh, uh, someone, to, someone to sort of suspect briefly. Yeah. Now, the vigilante group. <laughs> yeah. Who who told him to go check the woods? <laughs> I don't what? know. <laughs> like, Maybe what? it was the dogs. The dogs that didn't know what they were looking for. 
Yeah, well, that's why they were in the woods. The dogs were looking for shit. <laughs> the dogs, well, they took the dogs out and the dogs are thinking, fuck, we're just going for a walk. <laughs> Let's go. The woods, I love the woods. There's plenty of sticks there to chase. Let's get out there. <laughs> you know, when a dog sniffs a tree, a normal dog, <laughs> it means they want to urinate on it. If it has been trained, <laughs> if it's been trained, Jared, to look for something, then maybe you got something to work with. But you don't just grab the bloody, the family pet and run it outside. Well, it looked, it looked like that was going on. As I said, they were making all sorts of sounds, so anybody that's coming under suspicion can hear them from fucking kilometres away and gets a fairly hefty head start as they go. And as you said, their senses are their senses are somewhat impaired, I suspect, given that every single one of them was in the pub before we got out on the tent. You know who the vigilante group reminded me of? Homer Simpson. Who's um, that? Mob he puts together in the Simpsons that time. <laughs> you know, they're all they're all standing there with guns and and Hamas yeah. is going, Oh yeah, you should be careful. Oh look, we're responsible adults. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was me. Yeah. <laughs> yep. going on. <laughs> that's who they were. That's that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, as I said, the responsible, you know, the, the the guy that was running the gun store seemed to also be feeling the role of town drunk. So <laughs> <laughs> town, he was also town agitator. I mean, yeah, town drunk, town agitator. A, yeah, so there's a bit. A- that guy is a, a bottle of peroxide away from being Joe Exotic, essentially. <laughs> like he's just. <laughs> Yeah, you're not far he's, away from being Joe Exotic. I believe the crew he's was. He's filling many one, roles. One key ingredient that Homer's group had, uh, a pillowcase full of doorknobs. <laughs> 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 no, you know what? I think they might have had one. <laughs> I think when they were running around, I'm sure I saw a pillowcase full of doorknobs there. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> yeah. All you heard was... doorknobs <laughs> 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 Oh, good Lord. That was pretty much it for me and dislikes. Like, I think I'm a bit like you. I think one of the major dislikes is they didn't delve deep enough um, into some of the more interesting facets of the film. Given it's 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 a werewolf flick and it's a Stephen King film, which by now we've had plenty of, and so when you go back over it, it comes across as a little bit cliched in both departments. Both departments, yeah. Like it ticks, a, it ticks a couple of boxes we've seen done better in other Stephen King films. It ticks boxes we've seen done better in other werewolf films. So it kind of suffers a little bit from that. But even so, it was still very, very like it, I had a I had a good time going back to it. Yeah, and it was nowhere near as clunky as I expected it was going to be. Like no, I just remember it looking back on it, having fun as a kid because it was kind of like a B-monster movie and, you know, all that type of stuff. But it actually had a little bit more weight to it. It just didn't have enough yeah. weight. Like, it could have been yeah. weightier. It just didn't have it. I think so. Um, which was disappointing. Yep. Do you have any, any other dislikes, mate? No, no, that was that was everything. All right, that is 1985's Silver Bullet. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify and Podomatic. Send us an email at thrillme at iinet.net.au. We're on Facebook at Thrill Me Podcast Australia and at Podomatic at thrillme.podomatic.com. Look, everyone's isolated. You've got nothing else to do. So 
make sure you try and rate and review us <laughs> if you can. <laughs> yeah, you got nothing else Look, to do. Even if it's on, even if it's on Deezer, yeah, we'll take I, it. I don't care where it is. I also don't care if it's a one star. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, give us something to work with here. <laughs> a bit of feedback. We're pretty positive. It's If it's one star, we'll look at that and say, well, shit, the only way is up. So, you know, that helps. Yeah, look, look, you, you're isolated. Click a few likes and, you know, give us a few, <laughs> you know, give us a few thumbs ups or, you know, write us, write us a little bit of review. Tell us what, uh, what you like and what you don't like about it. Um, we're also on Instagram at thrillbeepodcastau. Keep an eye on our Facebook page and we'll provide details of the next episode. But until then, take it easy and we'll catch up with everyone later. Cheers. Find the podcast at Podomatic or on iTunes. Don't forget to rate and review. Like us on Facebook at ThrillMe Podcast Australia or contact us at ThrillMe, all one word, all lowercase, at iinet.net.au.